All right. Um, so uh, for those of you that haven't been with us, uh, one of the things we've been talking about as a launch team, which is what this group is, the church has not officially launched yet. Uh, we are hoping that we will be able to launch in the next month or two, perhaps. Uh, uh, in order to launch the church, you just don't pick a date and say, this is when we're going to do it. But there are a series of indicators that have to be met. And once they're met, you're free to do that. Um, a couple that we are working through right now that we have to finalize are, one, some infrastructure things, particularly like uh, finishing up exactly what we want to do in worship. We want to have communion every week. Um, and a few other things that we're going to add in as we go. One is children's, uh, how we're going to deal with nursery and that sort of stuff because we haven't had to do that just yet. Um, and then, but the most important one is we're looking for a place to meet. And so uh, we've got a couple of things that are possibilities and our leaders are going to talk about the, in the days ahead and we'll let you know. But um, so the launch team is meeting together and we're, we've been learning a lot about what the church is doing, the mission, vision, values of the church. But in the last few weeks, we've been talking about membership vows, which are uh, in, in our denomination, the way you become a member of our church is that you uh, take five vows, uh, which are promises that you're making to the church. It's um, the, the church is making a, a promise to you that it's going to care for you and love you. And it is going to, and we're going to talk more about what that looks like a little bit today. Uh, but at the same time, you're making a promise to the church, and these are the five promises that you're making. Um, we looked at the fourth vow last week. We're going to look at the fifth vow this week. And then just as a matter of housekeeping, I don't know if we're going to keep doing training, but I do think what we're going to do is we may have one more week or two more weeks on the topic of hospitality. I'm not sure yet. Um, but uh, we are going to probably do something after the service like this that lasts about 15 or 20 minutes just so we can get you together to pray as a launch team until we launch. We're going to probably keep doing that. So we might take some of what we're learning in the service about prayer and just try to apply it right off the bat when we're all together. So we'll talk more about that in the weeks that are ahead. So this week, we are on uh, the fifth vow. Uh, so if you will, let me pray for us, and then we'll hop in and look at this for a few minutes. Let's pray. Father, uh, we ask now that you would come and help us to think well about what it means to be a body with you as our head, what it means to be connected to you, to follow you together as a church. We pray, Father, that you would help us to want to do this well from the very beginning. Um, we know that what we're going to talk about today is often abused and becomes very uh, difficult in churches, we pray that you would protect Christ the King from that. Uh, and we ask that you would give her humble uh, leaders that love you and that want to serve you and abide in you more than anything else. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, fifth vow. Uh, do you submit yourselves to the government and the discipline of the church and promise to study its purity and peace? If you are coming in and you're not Presbyterian, that probably sounds very weird to you. Or if you are Presbyterian, but you're, you haven't been caught up in this, it might sound really weird to you. So I want to try to explain this the best I can today, and then if you have questions, I'll be glad to answer them. <clears throat> I start out with some considerations about the vow that I want you to think about. First of all, every church, no matter what church, is governed. All right, They all have some way of running themselves. All right, Some of them are connected to each other. Some of them are not. Um, but 
Uh, I'm going to give you three examples of this. These are the three most common examples of the way churches govern themselves. The first is I'm just going to use the, I'm just going to put an H. It's hierarchical, okay? And that is that they believe that God has appointed someone to oversee the work of the church, and that person under them has other people that are, uh, that, they, that oversee different works of the church, and then they have other people under them, so on and so forth, all the way down until you get to local churches in there. So you, so like uh, the most common example, of this is the Catholic Church, which has the Pope and then cardinals and then bishops and then priests right on down the line in the churches. Another example of this <clears throat> in the um, in the Protestant Church is the Anglican Church. You know, they they do something similar. Their their government is hierarchical. Um, a second one is one that you might have heard from heard about around here, which is I'm going to put a C, and that is congregational. And basically, the idea of the congregational form of church government is that the uh, entire church votes on everything, for the most part. Okay. Now, now sometimes they vote on certain things and then allow people to handle them. They'll have committees and that sort of stuff. But for the most part, congregational form of church government are churches <clears throat> where the congregation makes the, the decisions together, for the most part. And then you have us, okay, which are Presbyterians. And Christ the King is a Presbyterian form of church government. And it means several things. One is it means that there are um, a group of guys or people that um, are ordained that are called elders. Okay? And elders um, are spoken of in the scriptures. Uh, They are meant to kind of oversee the work of the local church. Uh, they are elected by our congregation. So in, in this case, the congregation would elect a series of people who would serve in these ways. And those men make the decisions of the church or lead the church as a group. Right? That's very important. So in this case, you have one person that usually makes the decision. In this case, you have the entire group that's making the decision. And in this case, you have an elected smaller group of people that make the decisions. Um, It's led by what we call a plurality of elders. Another thing that's unique about Presbyterian churches, which is what we are, is that they're connected to each other. In other words, um, most of the time, this is a very connected form of church government. All of the churches are connected to one another. This is not, in fact, most Baptist churches which are congregational are independent churches. They don't have any, they may have a loose denominational affiliation, but they are independent. They do what they want. In our situation, we are uniquely connected to other Presbyterian churches in our denomination. And that's important. It serves as a sort of check and balance for us. <clears throat> but it also makes us relationally connected to them. And, for example, we're meeting in this gym because we're a connectional form of church government. Because those people, the people that are in Chestnut Mountain, which is a Presbyterian church in America, um, they are allowing us to use and they want to see us grow and so on and so forth because uh, they are connected to us. All right? So um, th- that's an example of what it means for us to be uh, connectional and under led by a plurality of leaders. Now, this is what's weird. Um, a local church will have a, a group of, of elders that are, uh, uh, that are their leaders, and then you'll have other churches within a geographical area that have their leaders, okay? And this group of churches form what they call a presbytery, okay? So the leaders of our church, 
Chestnut Mountain, and the other churches in this area all come together usually four times a year in what's called a presbytery meeting. And that presbytery is a geographical meeting of the church. Um, and um, it's very important because in that, in that geographical meeting of the church, those guys, um, <coughs> they uh, examine people who are going to be ministers in our denomination. Okay. So in order for me to be the pastor here, I had to be examined by those men and approved to come do this. Any pastor of a local church around here has to be examined by this larger group of people in order to be able to serve as a minister in a local church. Right? So there's a lot more to this. It can be fairly complicated, to be honest with you. But what I mainly wanted you to know is that um, we're led by a group. And that group of men, even that group, is held accountable to a larger group um, within a presbytery. Um, now, uh, there's one more thing I wanted to say about this. Oh, in our particular situation, we're weird. We're a church plant, okay? So um, the presbytery, which is this larger group of churches in the local area, when churches new start, sometimes what they'll do is they will select a group of people to be the elders, men to be the elders, and they will appoint them over a church like ours because we haven't become an official church and we haven't been able to elect our own leaders yet. Okay, so right now the presbytery has given us four guys and myself as our sort of leadership group, so often called the session in the Presbyterian Church in America. And we are, as an elder board, making decisions about the church here. Um, and um, after a period of time, our church will what, what, what they call particularize. In other words, we'll be um, self-sustaining enough that we can elect our own leaders. And once that happens, that group will disband and we will have our own leaders that have been elected from within. Okay, so that's how leadership works in our, that's way too much. Um, <clears throat> okay, next, uh, discipline. This was the weird part. Uh, the government and discipline of the church. Uh, discipline describes the church's role in discipleship. Second, uh, 1 Timothy 4, 7 says this, have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths, rather discipline yourselves for the purpose of godliness. The church, in other words, has a responsibility to discipline the people that are involved in it. And I, I want to be real careful here because we discipline freights in this really weird meaning for us where we think about someone getting a spanking. Okay, that's really what we think about. And that's not what we're talking about. <clears throat> um, I think we can use the terms discipline and discipleship almost interchangeably when we talk about this. Um, the idea is that the church's role is to uh, disciple the people in it, and sometimes that has both positive and negative implications that I'm going to talk to you about in a minute. Um, and then lastly, it says, uh, promise to study the, the church's purity and peace. The purity and the peace of the church is accomplished through the work of the Spirit in the hearts of its members. So like God's Spirit is what's going to make us united. God's Spirit is what's going to keep us uh, pure and is going to cause us to keep short accounts with one another. It's going to bring about forgiveness. God's Spirit is the one that is at work doing that. <clears throat> and the church has a role in, in that as well, and you have a role in that. Um, because of this, the church's power to discipline or to uh, bring people to repentance is limited to two terms. And you'll hear, if you'll, if you, if we're ever in a situation, uh, where we're involved in somebody's life, something weird goes wrong, you'll hear me say this. Uh, the power of the church in people's lives is ministerial and declarative. In other words, um, if, if you all became members 
and one of you had an affair and cheated on your spouse. The church is going to be involved because you took these vows, right? We're going to get involved in that, and we're going to talk to you. And what we're going to try to do is to bring you to repentance. Does that make sense? We're going to bring you to a point to your repentance, and we're going to try to help your marriage in that sense, all right? But, the, but we don't have powers to make people do things. Our powers are to minister to them, to care for them and love them, and to declare the gospel to them, to declare what is right and true and good. But we don't have the power to make people do things. In my time as a minister, I've been in so many marriage situations or situations <clears throat> with people's kids where people want to come in and, and get the church to make someone do something, and we just can't do it. We, we can challenge people with the truth, we can encourage them to go see a counselor. We can encourage them to do the right thing, but we can't make people do things. Okay, we don't have that kind of power. Our power is ministerial and declarative. And your job as a member here is to study the pure, peace and purity of the church, or in other words, to know the importance of purity and peace in the church and try to seek it out. In other words, uh, to say this more clearly, um, your job is to keep short accounts with each other. Like, to, to seek to do the right thing and to encourage your friends in the church to do the right thing, um, which is all narrowed down to abiding in Jesus Christ. So what are some implications for this? Just a few. Um, first of all, Christ the King is led by a group of elders. I've already told you that. After our church moves out of the planning phase, new elders will be elected in our congregation. All the members of Christ the King will take vows and submit themselves to the discipline, and I'm going to put in parentheses, discipleship of the church. We hope that all our members will think about discipline this way. All right, I'm going to say this. This is the last thing I'm going to talk to you about today. <coughs> There's two ways to think about the word discipline in the church. Uh, my seminary professor, Ligon Duncan, used to say, there's positive church discipline and there's negative church discipline. Positive church discipline is the obligation of the church to provide its members avenues, accountability, and care to fulfill their vows or to commit or be connected to Jesus Christ. So that's what we're going to do. We've been talking about that all day. Like we want to provide you ways to connect with Jesus together as families in small groups with one another. We want to try to do that. In other words, we're trying to keep you um, close to him. That's what we want. Negative church discipline is the obligation of the church to help its members who wander away from that, all right? Um, that wander away from the faith. We're trying to call them back to repentance or to move them back into abiding with Jesus. And that could look as simple as a phone call, not even from a leader in the church, just from a member saying, hey, I want you, you know, it, I, hey, man, I see that you're really angry about this and I feel like you need to really think about it. I've done that with some of my best guy friends here. I've said, hey, I feel like this is strange. You're acting odd. This doesn't seem like it's consistent with your relationship with Jesus. I want you to rethink it. And they turn. And that's church discipline. Okay? In its most basic form, that's church discipline. But that moves up. Um, and sometimes we have to follow scriptures like Matthew 18, where we have to return to people who have left and wandered and try to get them to, to come back to the Lord Jesus. And after a while, sometimes that involves the leadership of the church doing that, teams of people trying to help people do that. But the point always is to bring about repentance. We want people to know Jesus and be connected to him. And so when we talk about church discipline, it's positive, and that we are going to give you ways to connect with Jesus all the time, but it also can be negative, and that sometimes we try to move you back toward him in repentance. Now, last thing. 
Churches who do this fall on a spectrum, okay? Some of them uh, micromanage your life and are involved in every aspect of your life, and they're always trying to point out your sins. That's not Christ the King, okay? Hopefully, you'll avail yourself to places where we can help you, but that's not, we're not going to micromanage your life. And then some churches don't do discipline at all. They just let you do whatever you want to do. That's not Christ the King either, all right? We're somewhere in the middle, all right? And we've got to figure this out as we go along. But what I do want you to know is we are very committed to you being connected to Jesus. And when you take these vows, you're saying, I want it. I want you to do that. I want you to be committed to helping me stay connected to Jesus Christ. That's the essence of what we mean by church discipline. All right. Any questions? Yes. Okay. No, 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 no. Like so the Presbyterian appoints them, and they're from different churches. <clears throat> right now, of, of that session, only one of them goes here. And so, like, but it's up to them. They can do what they want to do, of course. But, you know, ultimately. Yes. Yes. She asked the, the small group of leaders now that we have, are those guys uh, part of the church already, or are they from different churches, and what will their trajectory be? And I said that they, some of them are, some of them aren't, and they have no commitment on their part to be a part of what we're doing other than just being a temporary session at this point. Sorry about that. Any other questions? Well, there's, yeah, there's some of them in here today. We have a visitor. Mark is one of them. Mark Landers. It's a can in the air. Yeah, there you go. One of them is Don Alden, who is not here today. He's preaching at another church, but he's preached before us before, and y'all know Don. Um, let's see. Uh, Shane Ammons is one of them right here. Um, and the other is Dee Hammond, who is an assistant pastor here at Chestnut Mountain. That's the, the temporary session right now. And me. Any other questions? So funny. We've gone through these vows. Never have any questions, but we get to Presbyterianism. Claws come out. Okay. All right. Um, well, uh, what we're going to do now is we're going to let you divide into smaller groups and just pray for a few minutes. Um, there are a couple of things here that if, that if you'd like to pray for these, we'd certainly appreciate it. One is that our leaders would abide deeply with Jesus, but also that our future members would take their vows seriously to be committed to connecting with Jesus. I do want to say one more thing. I'm sorry. Um, there are lots of ways for people to lead here other than being an elder, okay? And I want you to know we want all kinds of leaders, okay? We don't, we don't even principally think about our leaders as being the elders, okay? There are a thousand ways that you can lead here, and we want to help you do that, find your right spot. So just realize that as we go on, that that's not going to be the primary way we think about leadership here, okay? All right, let me pray, and then I'll let you pray, all right? Uh, Father, thanks again for letting us be together today, for uh, the attentiveness here. I pray that you would bless these folks, uh, bless our journey together to plant, and bless them together now in their small groups as they pray. In Jesus' name, amen.